You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. Our subject this morning is seven reasons for praising the Lord, and it's based on Psalm 146, which is indeed an exhortation to praise the Lord. It starts and finishes in the Hebrew with hallelujah, or in our translation, praise the Lord. And the rest of the Psalms in the Psalter also start and finish with the same. So let's read it together. It's quite short, just 10 verses. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Well, before I give you seven reasons for praising the Lord, just uh, three little remarks by way of uh, introduction. Firstly, notice that the psalmist encourages himself to praise God in verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. And then this expression of determination, I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. So all my life suggests the stretch of it from childhood to old age. And as long as I live is a determination that you'll carry on doing it until the day you die. So he encourages himself to do it. And as, well, we're all getting older, but some of us feel we're getting older than older. And uh, it's not always easy to feel like praising the Lord, but we have to encourage ourselves to praise the Lord. And I'm here this morning to encourage you to praise the Lord. Second introductory comment, he encourages others to trust him in verses 3 and four and he shows why we should not trust in men even in princes and why we should trust in god verses five to ten we'll look at that in more detail in a moment and then the third introductory comment the psalm is considered to be messianic that means prophetic about the christ about jesus and verses seven and eight are a picture of the ministry of the lord jesus so the exhortation to praise the Lord is an exhortation to praise the Lord Jesus. And as Christians, that's what we love to do, isn't it? So, so much for the introduction. Now let's get into seven reasons 
for praising the Lord. And at the end of each reason, I'm going to get you to praise the Lord in a one-liner along with me. So be ready for it. The first reason is that he is our only hope. You'll see that in verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And before that, he says in verses 3 and 4, Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. Men cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Well, just a brief comment on that. Firstly, men, even princes, and I'm inclined to change that in our context and change princes to politicians. Men or women, even politicians, cannot save, verse 3. Are we not conscious of that at this present moment in history in the United Kingdom? Whatever your opinions are about the current trend in affairs, Brexit, for it or against it, with or without a deal, I have to tell you, men cannot save. The Bible encourages us to put our trust in God and not in men. I'm glad the peace that's in my heart does not spring from any political persuasion, but from a Christian persuasion that God is in control. Hallelujah. And David, or whoever the psalmist is here, questions their ability they cannot save and their continuity their spirit departs they're going to die anyway and I did a quick count on my fingers this morning as I was thinking about prime ministers and in my lifetime we've had no less than 14 or it might be 15 different prime ministers what does that say about continuity <laughs> Now, under the American system, you can only serve two terms as president, but in the British system, you can, as Margaret Thatcher claimed she would, go on and on and on. But she didn't. And so we see there is no continuity in leadership. There is no ability to save. By contrast, God has absolute ability, and boy, God has absolute continuity. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. And so the rest of the psalm gives us reasons for hope. God is our only, only hope. So I'm going to say it and I want you to say it after me. I praise you this morning, Lord, because you are my only hope. Here we go. I praise you this morning, Lord, because you are my only hope. Hallelujah. Second reason. He is the maker of heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. Now, wherever you live in the country, you are aware of the earth and you are aware of the heavens, the sky, if you like, but you're not always aware of the sea. We are blessed here in Brixham, to be aware of the heavens and the earth and the sea. How wonderful. 
and uh, I was listening to um, Nicky Gumbel's Through the Bible in One Year recently, and at the end of each session, his wife Pippa adds something, and she added recently that whenever she is in the sea, she's glad to remind herself that the Lord made it. Uh, gives her a sense of safety and security. All right. So, what, what do we read in verses 5 and 6? Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, or Israel. Jacob is another name for Israel, of course. He had his name changed to Israel after he had wrestled with God back in Genesis. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of of heaven and earth, the sea and everything, everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. Now, he is not referring to any old God. There were lots of gods in those days, gods with a small g. There are lots of gods today with a small g. In other religions, particularly Hinduism, for example, multiplicities, hundreds and hundreds of different gods, an elephant god, a monkey god, and all kinds of other gods. Oh, dear. But he's not referring to some God like that. He's referring specifically to the God of Jacob, the God of Israel, the Bible reveals that there is actually only one God. In the Ten Commandments we are told, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, him only shalt thou serve. He is the one who revealed himself to Moses as the I am who I am, the eternally self-existent one. He is the one and only God who is revealed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I'm interested to see, as notice here, that he is the maker of everything, that the Bible declares that God, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. But we are also told in John 1, and verse 1 and 2, that Jesus created all things. All things were created by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And of course we're told in Genesis 2, 1 verse 2, that it was the Spirit of God who was hovering over the waters at creation. So we see that Father, Son and Holy Spirit are the agents in creation. This is the God whom we worship. This is the God in whom we hope. This is the God whom we praise. And I remind you, that the early church quotes this verse, verse 6, in Acts 4.33 onwards. When they were in the face of persecution, Peter and John have been told that they mustn't preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. And they said, well, what do you expect us to do? Obey God or obey you? And they went back to their own company and they told them all that had been said to them and they lifted up their voices to God with one accord and they prayed. And they said, Lord, you are God 
who made heaven and earth and sea and everything that is in them. They quote this verse. It's good to remind ourselves when we are facing difficulties that our God is the maker of heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. And that suggests to me what the Bible teaches very clearly elsewhere, that he can do anything. He is all-powerful. Hallelujah. And so, I praise you this morning, Lord, because you are the maker of heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. I praise you this morning, Lord, because you are the maker of heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. Hallelujah. Third reason for praising the Lord. We're into verse 6 now. We can trust him. Well, we'll read verses 5 and 6. We've already looked at 5. Well, and still 6. We've looked at 6 as well. But let's repeat it. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. So we're still in verse 6, but just those last few words. God, the Lord, who remains faithful forever. God is faithful. And he's faithful forever. Now, if you think about it, you're not faithful if you're not faithful forever. The very nature of being faithful is that you are always trustworthy. If you are not always trustworthy, you are not trustworthy. Is that right? So God is faithful. But you see, this forever thing with God is a bit more than being faithful. You see, I promised to be faithful to Eileen um, in 1962. And I'm still faithful. I've promised to be faithful. That's trustworthiness. It's, it's what the commitment of marriage is all about. We're faithful. But you see, I can only be faithful for a lifetime. When God says he is faithful forever, it's not just for the rest of my lifetime, but it's for eternity. He is eternally faithful. He was faithful to Abraham. He was faithful to Isaac. He was faithful to Jacob. He was faithful to Moses. He was faithful to Joshua. He was faithful to the judges. He was faithful to David. He was faithful to the kings. He was faithful to Israel. He's faithful to his church. He was faithful to the apostles. He's faithful to you and to me. 4,000 years after Abraham, he's still being faithful. Hallelujah. You can trust him for the rest of your life. You can trust him for eternity. I praise you this morning, Jesus, because I can trust you forever. Praise you this morning, Jesus, because I can trust you forever. Fourth reason. We praise him because he loves us. Can I just say that this theme of hope with which we started runs all the way through this. So we might have well given this message seven reasons for hope. Not just seven reasons for praising the Lord, but seven reasons for hope. And thank God there is hope. And I have hope because I can trust him. I have hope because he loves me. So we're looking at verses 7 to 9 now. 
He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow. Verse 8 says, the Lord loves the righteous. And you might be thinking, well, um, what about me then? I'm not as righteous as I should be. No, well, that's true. And of course, in the Old Testament, when they talked about the righteous, generally speaking, that had to be a relative term because, uh, in a sense, there is none righteous, no, not one the Bible said. Even Jesus, when someone called him good, said, why do you call me good? There is none good except one, and that's God, which actually was a claim to deity because Jesus was God, and therefore he was good. It was a bit of a challenge in a way. So in a sense, the word righteous is a relative term, a human way of understanding it but the Lord loves the righteous I want to suggest you mean something more than that because we know from the New Testament particularly the book of Romans that when we trusted Jesus as our Savior and I hope all of you here this morning have come to that point where you have trusted Jesus as your Savior for without him there is no hope but when we trusted Jesus as our Savior we were justified we were justified by faith in our lord jesus christ and the word justified simply means declared righteous we who were not righteous in and of ourselves were made righteous through the cleansing blood of jesus and I tell you this morning, if you know Jesus is your Savior, even if you're not feeling very righteous at this moment, God sees you as righteous. And because he sees you as righteous, he loves you. Because the Bible says he loves the righteous. Now actually, we could go back a bit further than that and, and remind ourselves from Romans that even when we were unrighteous, God loves us. That's the amazing love of God. And even if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I declare to you this morning, God loves you. And he wants to see you as righteous. And that's why he sent Jesus to die for you. And that's why he wants you to trust Jesus as your Savior. And when you do, he will see you as righteous and not as the sinner that you know that you are. See, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly so God loves us he loves the righteous so look at verses 7 to 9 again and you see the experiences of love that we can have because God loves us and we see it primarily in Jesus this is why I say this psalm is well seen as prophetic of the ministry of the Lord Jesus, a messianic psalm, a psalm about the Messiah. Verse 8 says, he gives sight to the blind, the Lord. Now, will you notice this? Um, 
If in your translation of the Bible you have the Lord in capital letters, that's an indication that the Hebrew word that's being used there is Yahweh, the unpronounceable name of God, the what is sometimes called the tetragrammaton, the four letters, because there are no vowels in the Hebrew, the four letters which symbolize I am who I am, the eternally self-existent one. It's the Lord, it's Yahweh, it's Jehovah who gives sight to the blind. Just incidentally, another interesting attestation to the fact that Jesus himself is Jehovah. Let the Jehovah's Witnesses listen. Jesus is Jehovah. The Lord Jehovah gives sight to the blind. The Lord Jehovah lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien, sustains the fatherless and the widow. He upholds, verse 7, the cause of the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoners free. It's the Lord who does it. And we see it in Jesus. If God were going to come as a human being, what would you expect him to be like? You'd expect him to be just like this just like Jesus. And so I just remind you briefly, he upholds the oppressed. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, preaching to the Roman centurion Cornelius, Peter said that Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Jesus uplifted, he upheld the oppressed. He healed them, he put them right. He dealt with oppression the Lord gives food to the hungry hey and what a way Jesus had of demonstrating that when he fed 5,000 people with a couple of pilchard sandwiches five loaves and two fishes the Lord sets prisoners free Wow think of those who were in prison maybe not literally imprisoned John the Baptist was imprisoned and he was set free in a rather different way. He was beheaded and went straight to heaven. And sometimes that is a way that God sets prisoners free. But what about that man who was bound with chains? That man called Legion, possessed of many demons, whom no one could tame and who lived among the tombs. And with a word, Jesus set him free. And sorry if you've got a soft heart for pigs but the demons went out, went into the pigs, which ran into the sea and were drowned. Ah. Jesus gives food to the hungry. Jesus sets the prisoners free. Jesus gives sight to the blind. I think of Bartimaeus as Jesus was going out of Jericho. And he calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd say, be quiet, be quiet. He's not interested in you. But Bartimaeus is determined. He leaves his cloak behind. He gets up and he runs to Jesus. Hey, that's an act of faith when you're blind. 
He ran to Jesus. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to receive my sight. Jesus says, your faith has healed you. And immediately, Bartimaeus receives his sight. And he wasn't the only one. The Lord gives sight to the blind, and the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. Now, there are many different ways that you can be bowed down. You can be bowed down emotionally. You can be bowed down physically. Whatever way you're bowed down, if you are this morning, I want to tell you, Jesus can straighten you up. Jesus can set you free. And the example I'm thinking of is found in Luke 13, where there was a woman bent double and had been in that way, if I remember rightly, for 13 years, bound by a spirit of infirmity. And Jesus saw her, and he said, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. She came forward, still bent double. And then she straightened up by the word of Jesus, set free. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. How wonderful. All this, an expression of his love. Think of the wonderful ways God has blessed you. Now, not all of those things will have applied to you because maybe you haven't needed them to apply to you. But that's the kind of God he is. He's the kind of God who upholds the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, who sets prisoners free, who gives sight to the blind and lifts up those who are bowed down. And if some of those things haven't happened for you physically this morning, I have to say to you that actually all of them have happened for you spiritually if you've trusted Jesus as your saviour for you were oppressed you were hungry spiritually speaking you were a prisoner to sin you were blind in not seeing the truth and you were bowed down under the oppression of the enemy but when Jesus came and saved you he set you free why? because he loves you so fourth reason I praise you this morning Lord Jesus because you love me this morning, Jesus, because you love me. Yes, fifth reason. Slightly different one here. Verse 9. We praise the Lord because he's opposed to wickedness. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. I like that. Now God is opposed to wickedness and because of that he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Now I have to confess it sometimes doesn't look as though he does because there's a lot of wickedness going on and the wicked don't seem to be frustrated as much as we would like to see them frustrated. But that is why, first of all, we have to be opposed for wickedness and take opposed to wickedness and take a stand for righteousness. But also we have to remember that ultimately there is justice because God 
ultimately is the avenger. God is the one who ultimately puts everything right. So this is a valid reason for praising the Lord because it offers protection to us. He frustrates the ways of the wicked. And secondly, it demonstrates that there is ultimate justice. Revelation 19, verses 1 to 3, give us the ultimate revelation of how God deals with the wicked. And even when we look at the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus, who did not come to judge the world but to save it, even so, as he's showing grace, as he's showing kindness, as he's showing love, we also see an indignation at hypocrisy and a no tolerance of those who are wicked, willfully wicked. There's a difference, you see, between loving and forgiving sinners and at the same time being able to be intolerant of injustice, to be intolerant of wickedness. And that should be our attitude too. As I look at the things that are going on in society, I remind myself that the rules, the laws that God has given the human race to live by are given as an expression of his love because he knows what is best for us. And it's because we've had a revelation from God in the person of Jesus and in his word, the Bible, that we are so sure that what the Bible says is wrong is wrong. And what the Bible says is right. And we need to take a stand for it and to oppose unrighteousness at every turn. We should praise the Lord because he's opposed to wickedness and because there will be ultimate justice. That's why, as Christians, we never seek for vengeance. That's why, as Christians, we're told to turn the other cheek we're not to seek for revenge. I think it's towards the end of Romans 12 where Paul reminds us, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So if your enemy hunger, give him something to eat. And if, you give him, if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. So, I praise you this morning, Lord, because you are opposed to wickedness. I praise you this morning, Lord, because you are opposed to wickedness. Just two more. We're nearly through. Sixth reason, he reigns forever. Verse 10. The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Now let me point out that this does not say the Lord will reign forever. It's in the present tense. God is reigning now. 
he was reigning when the psalmist wrote it a thousand years before Christ and he's reigning now 2,000 years after Christ. He reigns forever. He is our God, O Zion, for all generations. Notice it's for all generations, not just forever. You see, forever suggests, well, it's infinite. And it kind of doesn't root it in time sufficiently for us. But when he says all generations, that means my generation, my children's generation, my grandchildren's generation, my great-grandchildren, I speak by faith, I haven't gotten it yet, my great-grandchildren's generation. For every generation, God is reigning. And you older people, let me encourage you, because some of you are fearing, as I sometimes am inclined to fear, what will happen to our grandchildren the way things are going in this generation? Do you not feel like that when I look back and see how much, and this is not just the good old days kind of syndrome. Really, in many ways, things were better than they are. And things have got worse. And we have just cause, humanly speaking, to fear for the next generation. And I'm not just talking about global warming. But I tell you this, God is reigning in this generation. He will be on the throne in the next generation and he'll be on the throne in the generation after that. For all generations, praise the Lord. I'm glad. And I'm reminded of that verse in Revelation, which talking about Jesus, says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. You say, well, that's future. Why did you stress the present? Well, you see, we don't always see the kingdom of God manifest in this present age. He is reigning, he is in control, but it isn't always obvious. But the message of the Bible is that the day is coming when it will become obvious. In Romans 8, the whole creation is in groaning in the, as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. And that will happen when the Son of God is revealed and all his who are sons by adoption will also be revealed for who we are, the sons of God and daughters of the living God. And it's then that the kingdom of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ in a manifest and glorious way. Hallelujah. I praise you this morning, Lord, because you reign forever. I praise you this morning, Lord, because you reign forever. And finally... We praise him and we have hope because 
he is a personal God, still in verse 10. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. And compare that with verse 5, he's described as the God of Jacob. He was Jacob's God. Zion, in the Old Testament, for us in the New Testament, symbolizes the church. He's your God, O church. I'm glad about that. I'm preaching in Brixham Community Church this morning. He's your God, BCC. Yes, he's the God of the other churches too. But he's your God. He's the God of this church. Of this Zion, if you like. He's in charge. He's reigning. He loves us. We can trust him. He's our God. Don't despair. God has plans. God has purposes for this church. This church is going places. In the right sense. He's the God of the church. But, thank God, he's a personal God. He's the God of Jacob. He's my God. He's your God. Every single one of you, this God is your God. I praise you this morning, Lord, because you are my God. I praise you this morning, Lord, because you are my God. Are you sure he's your God? You can be sure. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, just ask him into your heart. Ask him to forgive you your sins. And he will become your God forever and ever. So finally, we're going to do them all now. All seven reasons. Okay? Lord, I praise you this morning because... You are my only hope. You are the maker of heaven and earth. You are faithful and I can trust you. You love me. You are opposed to wickedness. You reign forever. And you are mine. God bless you. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit brixham.church.